Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In The Ethics of Ambiguity, in section two, Simone de Beauvoir examines and analyzes a number of different defective uses of human freedom, ways in which freedom denies itself and not only denies itself or nullifies itself, but conceals from the human being their own freedom and responsibility. And the second of these is what she calls the serious person, the person who is, you might say, choosing the path of the serious object and of seriousness as a kind of comportment. And as she points out, this is an advance beyond the subhuman, although she will also point out there's an affinity between these two. And when the serious person loses their capacity to be involved in and make themselves central within the realization of whatever it is, whatever value they've set up as the serious thing, they will often descend to the level of the subperson, or in their, their off time, they will do that as well. So there's, there's a connection between the two of these. The serious person can also lead into the third comportment that she talks about, namely that of the nihilist that we'll look at elsewhere. So what is going on with the serious person? She talks about the person submerging their freedom into the content accepted from society. So there's some sort of, as she's called it before, ready-made value, something that other people could provide, that reading, that media, that one's family could give to one. And then you say, well, maybe I can rebel against this and say that's not that important. It has to be placed into kind of a hierarchy of values. Or you can say, that's it. I have found what it is that I identify with. And she talks about this person is a really great phrase as suppressing themselves to the advantage of the thing with a capital T and the thing can be anything that you want it to be. Namely, it can be any object that you pick. She just says it has to be sanctified by respect. And it appears in the form of again, capital C cause science, philosophy, revolution, etc. She goes on a little bit further and she says that a frivolous lady of fashion can have this mentality of the serious as well as an engineer. There is the serious. Here's what's definitional about it from the moment that freedom denies itself to the advantage of ends, which one claims are absolute. So anything can become the serious. You could be a vegan and be caught up in the serious this way. You you could be a comic book collector, the one who is absolutely insistent on the need to keep things within their wrappers and in mint condition. You can be collecting Star Wars figurines that way, and that could become the thing. Fashion is a prime example. People who think that fashion fundamentally matters, you know, and that we have to obey its dictates. 
that would be the same thing. People who are involved in really any sort of creative or artistic domain in that way could be the serious person, as can somebody who thinks that the military is what is absolutely important. People who buy into a political cause in an unquestioning way. People in the present who echo all this stuff about the founding fathers and their intent and liberty, and, and, and they do so in a very abstract manner. I think they're arguably what de Beauvoir would call the serious person. People do this as well with their, their religions. People do this with their anti-religion. People can do this with all sorts of things. Exercise is another great example. Actually, diet too. People who become evangelists for, for diets. So they suppress themselves to the advantage of the thing. And like she says, they subordinate their freedom to values that would be unconditioned. Now we need to talk about this. What does it mean for them to be unconditioned? It means that nothing else is qualifying them. So if I say, for example, that family is what matters to me the most, and that shows in the way in which I carry out my life. So I work very hard to provide for my family. I'm also not one of those, oh, here's a great example of the serious person. The serious person could be the person who works very, very hard because what matters to them is providing a good home and security to their family. And they ignore the fact that their kids want engagement with them because they're you know too tired to do so when they come home from work or their spouse, right? Whatever it's going to be. And, and they essentially work themselves out of that value of family. Family is an abstract value in that case. And the, the real needs of the family are denied. But I was thinking instead, what about somebody who's a little bit more substantively engaged with that family and they've, they've like ticked off every single box and then they get a kid who comes to them and says, listen, I was driving last night and I think I killed somebody. And do you cover it up? Do you report it? Do you investigate it? Do you deny it? The serious person, unconditioned values, would say, oh, family is what matters the most. Forget other values like living in a society. For a value to be conditioned means that there is the call of other values. It has to be placed in relation to other values. And so the serious person is somebody who might have a hierarchy of values, but they're, they're never, the, whatever's at the top is never going to be questioned. Or if it is, that's when freedom comes in and we have some, some problems there. Now she talks about this as a repetition of the dynamic of childhood that she discussed a little bit earlier in this section. She says, it's easily understood why of all the attitudes which are not genuine, not authentic, this is the most widespread because every person was first a child. After having lived under the eyes of the gods, that is the parents, having been given the promise of divinity, one does not readily accept becoming a, simply a person with all the anxiety and doubt. What is to be done? What is to be believed? And she says, often the young man who has not, like the subman, first rejected existence so that these questions are not even raised, is frightened at having to answer them. After a more or less long crisis, he turns back to the world of his parents and teachers, or he adheres to values which are new, but seem to him just as sure. So whether you rebel, whether you go back, if you're just taking these values as for granted and setting them, them up as absolutes, as unconditioned, you're lapsing into this seriousness. But this is doing so as an adult, not as a child. So she says that there is a dishonesty here. Fundamental inauthenticity, we could call it. What is it? Part of it is that they have to repeatedly renew this denial of freedom. 
She says, this person chooses to live in an infantile world, but to the child, the values are really given. You see, the child has the repetition supplied by the adults. The adults supply the ways in which things are done. They supply explanations. They supply examples, often contradictory ones, granted. And the child has the adult giving them, or the adults giving them how things ought to be. The adult, well, you know, they can claim, well, my leader does this, or this writer does this, or here's what my guru says, but they're really choosing it because they are an adult. So they have to, and it, and it can't be done once and for all. You can't find, you know, let's say that Du Beauvoir was like, you're going to be your guru, right? You can't read the book once and say, all right, I figured it out once and for all. Now I never have to think about this again, because you do have to think about it. You do have to reassert it. That's the nature of human freedom and choice. We are unable to commit ourselves in such a way that the one commitment lasts for all time. We have to recommit ourselves over and over again. So so what's being denied here is the fact that one is doing this, being concealed, right? She says the serious person must mask the movement by which he gives these values to himself, like the person who, while reading a love letter, pretends to forget she has sent it to herself. Isn't that a great metaphor right there. Somebody would, in this case, you create a dummy email account and then email or even better, a dating site, right? You get onto a dating site, pretend to be somebody that you would be attracted to, write yourself a nice little note, send it to your own profile, get it. And then you have to say, oh, this is so nice. Somebody likes me. I, I'll write something back to them. And then you have to go back and pretend that you're not that person anymore. It's very difficult to do that for anyone who is authentic because you know that you're playing with yourself essentially, right? So she goes on and she says that there's other things as well. This person is freely establishing the value of the end and making themselves a slave to that end. And they refuse to recognize that they're doing this. That is what allows them to become the slave to the end because they don't acknowledge that it's their own choice that makes say the church or the army or this politician and they're winning the election or something like that. The prime value because they don't do that, they become enslaved to it and they are enslaving themselves. So there's a really strange dynamic, but a common dynamic going on here. She says he forgets that every goal is at the same time a point of departure and that human freedom is the ultimate, the unique end to which human beings ought to destine themselves. So it's a denial of our own freedom. She also has this interesting analysis of the term useful. And she paradoxically says that they give an absolute meaning to the term useful. Why is that paradoxical? Because if useful is understood properly as it is in moral philosophy, useful, expedient, helpful, any of those sorts of things, it's not absolute. Useful is a relational term useful for this, right? Money is useful. Money is useful to buy things. Credit cards are useful in the same way that money is actually other ways as well. They're, they're useful for the buyer to get some things that they want. They're useful for the credit card companies to soak people for a very long time by charging high interest rates, right? But even that utility involved in the credit card company, presumably that's not their goal in life is to trap people into credit card debt and make money off of them. They want to make that money so that they can do something else with that money themselves. 
But if they're the serious person, they could say, wow, this is such a great arrangement. I must do everything to make sure that this happens. This happens in school a lot too. If you think about how people can be sticklers about assignments and there's no real conception of what the assignment is for, the assignment becomes the end in itself or a certain way of teaching, right? Useful has to be in relation to other things. And she says that in truth, useful has no more meaning if taken by itself than the words high, low, right, and left. It designates a relationship and a compliment. The compliment must be put into question. And as we'll see later on, the whole problem of action is then raised. And then she says, the serious person doesn't put anything into question. For the military man, the army is useful. It's given this word, but useful doesn't mean just useful for something. It means of value. For the colonial administrator, the highway. For the serious revolutionary, the, the revolution. And she says, all of these can become inhuman idols to which one will not hesitate to sacrifice the human being themselves. And here she shifts to the next point. So we talked earlier about a person becoming a slave to the, the value. A person can also become a tyrant as well. Tyrant is somebody who rules arbitrarily over others and generally without any reference to called ethical norms, right? So you can become a tyrant. How? She says that ignoring the value of the subjectivity and the freedom of others to such an extent that sacrificing them to the thing, this person persuades themselves that what they sacrifice is nothing. The colonial administrator who has raised the highway to the stature of an idol will have no scruple about assuring its construction at the price of a great number of lives of the natives. For what value has the life of a native who is incompetent, lazy, and clumsy when it comes to building highways? The object becomes the thing that, that matters the most. And it could even be arranged in, in this sort of way. The highway, these silly natives don't realize how much this highway is going to radically improve their lives. So if we have to kill a few of them in the process, in order to make the highway exist for the benefit of natives in the future, well, you know, that, that's just too bad. And this is tyrannical because who's deciding this? It's the person who is the serious uh, colonial administrator and they don't respect the freedom or the value of other people. Now, what she says is the dishonesty here is ignoring the subjectivity of his choice, pretending that the unconditioned value of the object is being asserted through them. I am the one who speaks for the highway. I am the one who speaks for the political cause. I am the one who speaks for what it means to be genuinely Catholic, as opposed to all those fake Catholics over there. This sort of seriousness can be found in many different modes. And that's not to say that speaking for something automatically makes you the serious person or criticizing others within one's own universe or group or domain. It's the way that it's done. It's the investment that's taking place. And the fact that one doesn't take responsibility. Prime example of this is when a, a famous philosopher at a Locke conference is told to me by one of my professors who is a, a very important Locke scholar. There was a dispute about what Locke meant in one of his books and he got up and he slammed his hand down on the table and he said, that is not my doctrine. And then suddenly he realized what he meant to say is that is not Locke's doctrine. He had so identified himself as the defender of John Locke and the proper expositor of it against all these other rum-dums over here who are making you know, frivolous claims about it that he lost sight of the fact for a moment that he wasn't John Locke and he wasn't the only person to speak for John Locke. He might've been at the apex of his profession and highly regarded, but other people's viewpoints could be correct. Now he recognized that the serious person often doesn't.
There is one other thing that she, she talks about in relation to this uh, dishonesty. And that is, like she says, in order to justify the contradictory, absurd, and outrageous aspects of this kind of behavior, the serious man takes refuge in disputing the serious. But it's the serious of others he disputes, not his own. So it's okay to make fun of other people's political causes. Or if you're an anti-vegetarian, you're like, we should all eat meat. You make fun of those silly vegetarians, right? Or vegans. But you don't make fun of your own stuff. As a matter of fact, if somebody pokes at yours, that's off limits, right? Now you've crossed the line. But it's perfectly fine to tear down and make fun of others. So like she says, the colonial administrator is not unaware of the trick of irony. He can test the importance of the happiness, the comfort, the very life of the native, but he reveres the highway, the economy, the French empire. He reveres himself as a servant of these divinities. And then she goes on and I don't know if this is actually verifiably true, but it's a, it's a good line. Almost all serious people cultivate an expedient levity, right? They hide from themselves the incoherence of what they're doing in that way. And she, she also talks about how, again, the, the serious person and the sub man can share space within the same person. One last thing from this that I think is, is kind of poignant. She talks about as soon as the person leaves the domain of where they're involved in the serious, they become dull. The serious man's life loses all meaning if he finds himself cut off from his ends. Ordinarily, he does not put all his eggs into one basket, but if it happens that a failure or old age ruins all his justifications, unless there's a conversion, he no longer has any relief except in flight, ruined, dishonored. His important personage is now only a has-been, right? Now, there is another thing that needs to be said, and this is a qualification that she makes. Some people can be forced into the universe of the serious. She says, certain adults can live in the universe of the serious in all honesty. Who would those be? Those who are denied all instruments of escape, those who are enslaved or who are mystified. The less economic and social circumstances allow an individual to act upon the world, the more this world appears to them as given. So this is something very important. Not everybody has the same degree of freedom. And this is typically a product of the societies that we, we live within. As as well as you know smaller groups like say families a person could be within a family where because of the the trauma and abuse that's been going on in their family they they wind up being forced into the serious but were they in other circumstances they would be able to escape that and she goes on and she she says that this is the case of women who inherit a long tradition of submission and of those who are called the humble or we say the little people right and then she goes on and she says, we have to be a bit careful about this. There is often laziness and timidity in their resignation. Their honesty is not quite complete, but to the extent that it exists, their freedom remains available. It is not denied. They can know the truth of existence and raise themselves to a properly moral life. She gives the example of uh, Ibsen's play, A Doll's House, where the heroine rebels against the lie of the serious. And so you could say that the more capacities we have, the more that we're in a position of having access to understanding ourselves, the less we're restricted by society, the more we're privileged, the more responsibility we have. And some people have so many things going against them. And it may, you know, it may have to be understood in a complex way, I suspect. The more that they have going against them, the more they may be forced into the serious. And there isn't this 
dishonesty, this inauthenticity marking it, but it's also still not a condition that, that she wants to advocate for. It's, it's problematic for a different reason. So this is the domain of the serious person as de Beauvoir is sketching it out for us. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works. <laughs>